I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Turumpets. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going great because I had loads of fun playing my computer game for Father's Day. You did a 24-hour race. Now, I always think 24-hour races are, are a bit excessive. Why not just do more races that uh, take less time? Uh, whereas 24 hours is a whole big chunk. Well, it is. But part of the fun is you're on a team with other people. So instead of playing like tennis, you're playing football, for example. And I can use that and it works for both America and England. So yay, plus the rest of the world. Uh, so part of it is that. But part of it also is it's just a different kind of racing and driving experience relative to uh, uh, single seaters where it's just one person in a car versus everybody else. It's a completely different thing when you're on a team and you're racing against other people. And it, it just, it was magnificent. And I'm still, despite only four hours of sleep, uh, just relishing in the fun of being able to do that. I would find that far too much pressure to let my teammates down. I much prefer the Formula Renault iRacing we've been doing so that, you know, if I spin off and crash, like I did several times in the final of the Missed Apex iRacing Championship, then, you know, it's only me I'm affecting. Well, I understand that. But I think um, much, again, much like any team sport, you you accept that these are your teammates and they're doing the best they can. And it's really, uh, I have found it to be, at least at the Missed Apex level where I am, a really non-judgy and happy place. Because everybody everybody's knows what everyone is capable of, and we all try and help each other out. So it's it's fantastic. You know what else is a happy and judgment-free place? Not your house. 
the well no not my house but my shed my podcasting shed <laughs> where we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves we aim to bring you a race review before your monday morning commute we might be wrong but we're first We're also joined in the shed by Chris Stevens, a recent alumni of the Remain Indoors podcast, where we found out all about you, Chris, but now it's back to business and motorsport. Absolutely. Back to regularly scheduled programming and happy Father's Day, podcasting papa. Oh, are you calling me your podcasting dad? Before I get excited, is that what you were saying? Yeah. Oh, I'll take that. I'll take that, Chris. Thank you very much. I'm not even going to stick the knife in or push my luck on that one. Uh, Thank you very much. Um, It's lovely to have you on here. And in fact, uh, we were talking about that on Remain Indoors at the beginning of our relationship as podcast uh, buddies and also your Mm -hmm. rise from part-time motorsport enthusiast all the way to professional motorsport grown-up person. Yeah, it was a really refreshingly unlayered chat, wasn't it? Usually I always put this kind of professional face um, on and on remain indoors. It was all just it's like peeling the onion. Once it starts, you can't stop it. But I tell you, I tell you who is really good at holding in all those emotions. It's the Danes, which is why we're joined by broadcaster, uh, broadcaster Christian Pedersen, uh, which I've definitely pronounced correctly. Christian, it's been too long. Actually, you can just, if, as in Dennis, it's the D as in Dennis Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Danish exactly. pronunciation. Are we calling each other daddy here? Um, is that normal for this? Yeah, I mean, that looks to be the way we've gone. So it's best to just lean into it, I think. I think okay, they're Christian. Okay. Uh, it, the oh. important thing to remember when listening to Christian is that uh, all the pronunciations, uh, there's no consonants. I think it is all vowels. Um, and we will put subtitles, uh, I think. When you're talking, Christian, I'll, uh, I'll accept it. I'm a, I'm a big I'm, I'm a big fan of of Denmark. Spent a lot of time there in my childhood in Copenhagen. Uh, going to Tivoli as a kid. Uh, whereabouts in in uh, Denmark are you? Um, when they do the fireworks in Tivoli, I can hear it from my apartment. So I'm I'm rather close to where you once were. Big wide streets um, in Copenhagen. You can see, I think, why they were looking at a Copenhagen Grand Prix. Except the fact that they had to shut down the entirety of the center of Copenhagen for two weeks and that just wouldn't work. That's true. And also you have great public transport. So for the drivers, they could easily like hop on one of your trains and probably, you know, win the race. So that's something that you got to factor in. Let's move on to the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Well, Matt, big changes at Mercedes' uh, engine department. Yeah, Mercedes HPP um, in Bricksworth has been run by Andy Cowell for the entirety of the turbo hybrid era. He's been there 16 years. And we just found out this week, very suddenly and most excitedly, that he's a walking out the door and there will be a new chief. I'm going to guess Howell Thomas. It's spelled H-Y-W-E-L, and I think it probably comes from one of those areas in the country that has an aversion to vowels. Uh, no, it probably means he's got land, that sounds like. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. Well, anyway, so I'm, if I'm wrong with the pronunciation, I do apologize. Uh, that sort of English is certainly not my native language. Um, and it said he will, quote, consult the Mercedes-Benz AG on a future project, at least until 2021, which is interesting 
because 2021 is also now the new regulations come in in 2022, don't they? And you think they are related? Why? No clue. Why would he leave Mercedes and go to some other manufacturer that might pay him three times the salary? I don't know. Maybe he's bored from having developed the world's best engine that no one can even come close to beating. There are many reasons why people walk out the door, and they're not always directly related to money. But the most intriguing thought is stringing together. We've heard about Toto going to Aston. We've heard we've heard a lot of rumors about Mercedes. We know, and now do not accuse me of being clickbait here, we know that they have a new boss in town, and that even if the new boss is committed to Formula One, new bosses like to make things their own by changing stuff, even when it's not a good idea. And you do just wonder mm. if maybe, maybe somewhere along the way, people are like, you know what? I'm not liking the way this looks. So I think I'm going to head for the exits while I'm still a happy camper. No, I'm not saying that's what happened, but I am saying I might have heard it from someone who might have heard it from someone who might have heard it from someone. (laughs) I love the the rumors best when they're seventh or eighth hand. Uh, But Chris, could this not just be as simple as incredibly successful person has been in the same job for multiple, multiple years? And it doesn't matter how successful you are. I mean, he's probably picked up a reasonable paycheck in that time. He could just be wanting to go and run a pub or something. Yeah, maybe spend more time with his family or anything. I mean, I'd be really surprised if he does go to another team. Because here's the thing about Mercedes. The reason that they keep secrets from all the other teams is that Mercedes looks after their staff, and especially to try and keep the secrets uh, in one place. To be fair, it was expressed that he was leaving to seek a new engineering business challenge. And we do know that Mercedes is putting an MGUH into some of their cars now. And thinking back, uh, one of the most interesting conversations that he had was that asked early on about what he would do if he was given just a a blue sky design a car. He was like, oh, I make like a 0.63 cylinder diesel marry it to a hybrid and have a sports car that could get around 300 brake horsepower and upwards of 50, 60, well, I'm going to use miles per gallon because that's what we use over here, but liters per fortnight or whatever it is you use over there. <laughs> Christian. I want to say Andy Cowell is is uh, probably top five, one of the most cherished people in the Mercedes factory. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that will only happen if he has a really, really good relation with Toto. Wolf, uh, because just how the team works. Uh, I was very surprised by uh, looking at what happened with him, but I heard some rumors about uh, other senior folks in Mercedes wandering off the start season here, uh, and wasn't really sure how to what to make of it. Uh, but if you, if uh, I'm not sure, you can just say this has to do with the Aston Martin thing. But if you look at it, if if you look at Toto Wolf and how he operates, he wouldn't just like quit his job, go to Aston Martin. That's it. He would make a plan for it. He would put things in place. And this certainly looks like something that could be part of that plan. I'm not saying it is, but it could be. But also it could be uh, it could be a way for Mercedes to maybe drift in another direction board-wise. And that if that drift down in in the company structure, things like this will happen automatically. I'm not seeing I'm I'm not seeing him going to Ferrari, for instance. I'm not seeing that. And Cowell's input at Mercedes and building up the dominance that we have seen from them cannot be understated. 
He's played a fantastic role um, in this. And I think him leaving is going to play a a big part in A, how Mercedes shapes uh, its uh, its management and its structure and its particularly high-performance powertrains over the next few years. Keeping him on in an advisory role is probably pretty crucial because it's at least better than him not being there at all. So they're keeping a little bit of cow in there, which might stop them going off in completely the wrong direction. But we could see some big shifts over the next couple of years. True. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess until we find out exactly what it is that that he's doing, uh, that mystery will will remain uh, under wraps, Chris. It's probably worth noting as well that the engine regulations aren't changing until 2026. So there's only so many mistakes they can make with the power unit at uh, at this point. That's incorrect. They are actually joining um, uh, a limitation through the FIA on development for power units. And I did wonder if possibly that might be related to his seeking a new outside challenge. You're going to be limited to the development time and the dynos they use and stuff like that. And that's going to be before 26. Right, but they're not changing the power unit, which was my point. Yes, and my point was that I could make you sound wrong by slightly altering the emphasis you were making. You politician, you. But it makes totally sense if you look at how many years in uh, before 2014 Mercedes started their power plant uh, tests or first bench stuff. If you look at the new rules coming in, that's sort of like the same timing now. Excellent. Well, interesting times. And as we go into the new regulations, it will be interesting to see suddenly the people who had uh, all the chips, who had all the talent, all the power, you know, maybe that power shifts. Some unknown thing will become the dominant force in, in Formula One, Matt. It could all be about the, uh, the floor plate, uh, technical aero director. He could be the key man in the next era of F1. Yeah, it could be it could be several things, but it sounds like you really want an excuse to talk about who's bringing what to the very first race of the season. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think I was kind of driving at uh, how the new floor uh, plans might shape the 2021 era regulations. But sure, why not bring it to the forefront of the 2020 season, given that we have, uh, you know, races imminent, as my boy Jabmi said, two weeks Two weeks, Dad, till Formula One. Is that right? Is it our preview show for Austria next week and then the Grand Prix the week after? So what we'll do a little bit, I think, um, later in the show is actually just remind ourselves of the 2020 grid. Maybe have a little look about who we think is going to prosper in those teammate battles. Because with all that crazy transfer news that happened during the the lockdown stuff and uh, the extended off season, I've actually forgotten who's where. And we've got to kind of reset our mind, reset our focus to 2020. Now, when you're talking about new toys, was there not some kind of upgrade freeze? I was under the assumption that the cars that were going to turn up to Australia are now going to turn up to Austria. Is that not so? Nope, not at all. Um, in fact, uh, we learned from our uh, dear friend Summers. And yeah, by the way, thank you for referencing the new shape of the floor that's going to affect the tire squirt. Uh, Summers isn't here, but I felt like I had to say that on his behalf. Everyone drink. Uh, into the rear area and might cause a top to bottom back to front redesign of all the aero, all in cost saving, all in the name of cost saving. Uh, that was very impressive of you to actually remember that from the last show and bring it up. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud. I'm growing. Um, but, 
But as far as what's going to be, we're going to see in Austria, it's very exciting. Uh, Ferrari's bringing a new engine and a new gearbox, because if you recall, in all the drama about whether they would or wouldn't go on track, they wound up not going on track, which means that there is no engine, number one, yet to be one of the three that you're allowed for the season. So they're actually bringing their version number two, and it's going to feature a stiffened gearbox, which will cost them a little bit of weight, but they feel that the performance gains are absolutely positively worth it. It's going to improve handling and, crucially, tire performance in life. It's, it's interesting you, you bring up the, the development freeze because it's more about between the 2020 season and the 2021 season. I almost feel like they should have done one for this hiatus because who are the teams that are talking about bringing updates? Ferrari, Mercedes, probably Red Bull. Meanwhile, the talk out of all the midfield teams is, oh yeah, we need we need investors. We can't afford to A, run our cars or B, bring updates. I love that because the next part of the story was that Mercedes has very much been working on aero updates and is bringing them to Austria. And at this point, I will remind you that Austria is a bit of a one-off of a circuit. It's 600 meters high, has extreme elevation gain, and, and has sort of a unique aerodynamic profile that teams try to meet. And so what we're seeing is updates, as you said, Chris, almost as if you had looked at my notes, <laughs> that Mercedes and Ferrari are talking about updates they're bringing to this track. Meanwhile, we have Haas saying they might not even bother updating their 2020 car at all. So it's still very much a tale of haves and have nots at this point. Couldn't it just be a product of the FIA verdicts, that engine? I mean, they're going to bring a new engine because uh, things happened in the winter period and <laughs> Agreements. they probably had to do yeah. something. Agreements were made, Matt. Uh, it, it, to an extent, but really it's just the way the regulations are written because the engine they brought to Australia never went on track. It, it essentially doesn't count <clears throat> for, the, for the purposes of the three iterations of, itera of, of power unit you're allowed. Uh, the I totally get that it, it's... It's a free engine, but uh, yeah. maybe they had to make that engine to even go on track. I'm just speculating. Uh, well, I think, the, I think the version that we saw in Barcelona was the one that they had to make. I think the one they're yeah. bringing, uh, rumored with an extra 15 horsepower, is, is along the lines to addressing, uh, meeting all the brand new technical directives that they developed in conjunction with the FIA and not at all because they were totally guilty of cheating last year, which they weren't and it was never proved. So shut up, you can't prove it. <laughs> the other thing we have to remember about Austria as well is, uh, you know, well, they're running it twice for a start. So it's not a one-off, it's a two-off um, now. And it being the Red Bull ring, you can bet your bottom dollar that Honda are going to push that engine to the extreme to try and make it three Red Bull home wins in a row, maybe even four, given that they're back-to-backing the, the race. So uh, there's definitely still some some stuff to, to work out there. And, you know, what what are the engine rules going to be for this year? We don't know how many races are going to be on the calendar. How does that affect the, the engine uh, limit rule? How are the teams going to run their race? Can they run it a little bit more because they know that there's going to be uh, fewer races, or if suddenly in, in a month's time they add another five races onto the season, they're like, gosh darn, I wish we hadn't pushed our engine so hard. Yeah, that's a good point, Matt. It is a good point, and I was just going to say, uh, apologies there, that I haven't actually looked at the latest update of the regulations, but to my understanding, you're still allotted the three, the three power units to last the season. I don't think they've 
change that to reflect the total number of races being run. Uh, but an interesting side note is they have now limited the total number of exhausts that you're allowed to eight per season, whereas before it was unlimited. Wait a minute. I, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. Is exhausts like a, you know, an in danger critical thing that, that gets changed? And is it so expensive that it warrants some kind of limitation on it, Matt? You fill me in. Like, what's going on? Well, uh, since you bring it up, uh, it, interestingly enough and quite true, yeah, they would, they would print or manufacture multiple exhaust configurations per event. And because they were not limited in the way that the power unit is limited, they were they would experiment with exotic and expensive materials to reduce weight. Uh, sometimes they would swap out exhaust between wow. qualifying and the race because they would have an exhaust that would literally only go, you know, the, the amount of qualifying. So so yeah, it it wound up much like brake ducts becoming this area of incredible expense that originally was just something apart that you would never really think about. I mean, my exhaust has been on my car, well, my previous car. It was I had the same exhaust for like 20 years, yeah. and it worked fine. But this is Formula One. They do things differently. I mean, Christian- Didn't fall under the park for me rules? Changing the exhaust? Like for like. Ah. You're allowed to swap like for like. So if they had like an exotic material, but it wore, it didn't last very long, they were still allowed to just swap in an equally expensive exhaust system. But it just shows you that the cost cap is the only way to 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 pull back spending. Because I guess with you know the cost cap coming in, they now have a certain amount of uh, of tokens effectively for their upgrades. Whereas if you just said, okay, we're going to make everything spec except for the suspension, you would suddenly find this huge spending war and they would become the world's foremost experts on suspension and, you know, and they would throw millions and millions and man hours at that. Yeah, well, what I love about this is it is so pointing out, like like you mentioned the tokens. So because we have a situation where McLaren is changing engines between this year and next year, the FIA has had to make an exemption for them to, to update their chassis design to fit. And then in order to make it fair, they're now giving everyone basically two free changes in their chassis between this year and next year. But McLaren's going to have to spend theirs on making their engine fit. So this is this is how they're looking about making it fair. But they're adding to the number of parts that are homologated. They're restricting what's being able to be uh, changed. And one of the interesting things about the exhaust is that the teams are actually, it was originally going to be kicked to next year with the rest of the 21 regulations going to 22, but the teams actually asked the FIA to keep it on for this year. So it is got to be a real expense and a not very useful one if even the teams are like, could you restrict that for us this year so we have an excuse not to spend the money on it. The other thing about this is you're talking about the cost cap. Well, you know, we, we've seen rumors, again, of Haas being for sale. Haas is always for sale. Like, we've always been at war with East Asia. Yes. <laughs> but what I love about it is it's pointing out, like, uh, from the point of view of McLaren, everyone is looking at these cost cap years as being their chance to spend the same amount of money as Mercedes, as Ferrari, as Red Bull. So what we're really seeing from our midfield teams now is a desperate search for investment so that they are not behind the first year and the second year and the third year the cost cap are implemented. They already are going to be starting uh, at a deficit knowledge-wise 
because the big teams have been spending massive budgets and they have so much data and information in file drawers they can just go look at. But they're thinking if they can catch up investment-wise and spend with the big teams, they might have a real chance at beating them. So, yeah, it's interesting. Stuart Neal in our live chat room, which we have back now. Thank you, chat room. You guys are the best for sticking with us for technical issues. was having a bit of an internet problem, so I killed the live stream, uh, which which hurts me to do. So I've been sat here this whole time doing internet tests. And since it looked like our, our neighborhood issue was resolved, I've started it back up again. You can search for us on YouTube by searching for Missed Apex Podcast at YouTube.com. And you can join us live like Stuart Neal did with his comment, are there no F1 teams that are not for sale at the moment? And I think it's interesting to look at, well, what does it mean if an F1 team is for sale, isn't for sale? I mean, there's lots of different levels of, of ownership. So whilst uh, the Williams family owned, owned the Williams team, they owned then 51% of it. They floated it on the stock market. If they are effectively in control still of the racing side, well, it might just be a different kind of business model. If Gene Haas sells Haas, what does that really mean? Does that mean he just floats that on the stock market? Does that mean he gets a big investor? Does he keep racing control? But you're right, Matt. This is a golden opportunity for some of those midfield teams, probably looking at Racing Point, actually, and saying, well, Racing Point will have the budget to go all the way to the cost cap. So when that cost cap comes in, Racing Point are going to be one of the teams that can max it out and then can also spend on the things that aren't part of the cost cap, as Matthew Carter pointed out to us, driver salaries, certain logistical elements and stuff like that. So if if they don't do it, then they're going to lose track of the racing points. And, you know, you know, Schrodinger's F1 team of Renault, you know, they're, they're both about to invest heavily in F1 and about to sell up Enstone. So yeah, so Haas risk being permanently marooned at the bottom of the grid if they don't do something financially. Yeah, and this um, you know, I mean if you look at if you look at the chase, the real race amongst the midfield team in the next year, year and a half is all going to be sponsors and investment. Can I come up with 145 to spend just like the big boys? And if I get it, and this is the crucial detail. If I get it, can I spend it well enough to really make a difference? So the pressure is on the commercial and marketing departments of the Formula One teams more than ever right now, right? Yeah, you have to think so, especially because there's no racing to go with it. No one knows what they're going to be able to spend or where they're going to go. But at the same time, and you know, you say commercial and marketing, but I'm thinking Zach Brown at McLaren. I'm thinking... This is kind of like university presidents. Fundraising is now going to have to become one of their major jobs. And in this environment, it's going to be really hard to find people. I think you're going to have to find individuals because corporations are going to be kind of shy about spending this sort of money. Christian. I think in Formula One, you've always had like two potential kind of buyers. You have the rich energy type of buyer who's just like, well, fast cars, hot women, I'm going there. Is that your American accent? Yeah, well, I'm not sure what that was, actually. <laughs> I've never heard a Dane who <laughs> can do good accents, actually. So, yeah, good effort. Let's go there. I'm not sure. And then you have the other one, which is like the most serious buyer. Um, and and the, the latter group, 
have been looking at Formula One for years now, and it's never been a good time to buy a Formula One team because it's always been like in three or four years, it's going to change and they're going to lose either way and blah, blah, blah. But now things have changed, but I'm not sure the potential buyers are just going to like accept that from day one, say, okay, things change, let's buy. I think they're going to wait a while and see how things progress and see if these things are actually implemented as they are thought to be. I think that's going to take some time. There's that as well. And at the moment, I guess, Christian, a lot of the F1 teams, they see real value in themselves. So if you want to come and buy Haas now, they can point to, well, these are the results we've had. Look at the drivers we've got. However, in a couple of years, if they don't get the investment, if they don't adapt to the rules well enough, if the cost cap isn't working out, people are just lurking. Why spend a hundred million now when it could be 50 million in two years? That's always the thing with sports and especially Formula One. You never really know, but now you have, now it's a different scenario, I think. And, uh, and if you're really, if you're really into it and you've, you've done your homework and you've, you understand what the, what the future is going to bring, I think it's really a good time for, for what could potentially be a great investment for the first time in Formula One in ages. <laughs> well, an actually good investment. I would still like to see the opportunity for more new teams coming onto the grid. I, I don't know if that cost cap is going to be quite enough. What do you reckon, Chris? Is, is the cost cap when it comes in, it might not be enough to knock the top three off their perch because they can still spend money on top drivers and, and other bits and bobs. Mm. But is it enough for uh, some outside organization or like an indie team or an F2 team with great backing to come in and go, yeah, we can, we can start up. We can buy most of a chassis, uh, go up to the cost cap and we can be in the midfield. I doubt it for an F2 team. Oh, okay. The running cost of a, the running cost of a Formula 2 team I may... has shot up in the past yeah. few years. Don't get me wrong. Cause it used to be around 2 million and, uh, the last like, five or six years, it's gone up to about six to be at the front of the field. I, I, so. I may have watched Rush too recently, uh, but Matt, I'm going <laughs> to go to the chat room comments there for for a second. Uh, Michael Dieselhoff has just made me crack up. And a uh, dude uh, with Dieselhoff, where are you from? Where is that? Is that a German name, Michael? Uh, because we've got a Dane on the panel and you're insulted. Look at this. His comment is, look at the drivers we've got in reference to me talking about Haas and saying K-Mag and Rogro it's more of a fixer-upper, isn't it? Right to reply from our Dane, Christian. How, how dare he? Oh, he's, he's Dutch, he's Dutch. Uh, there's, there's always, I mean, I think they're doing pretty good. I think they have, uh, I have, they have good drivers in Haas. If you look at what everyone does, there's Maldonados out there. And uh, I'm a fan of Kevin, of course, I have to. <laughs> yes, of course. I actually, I, I rate both those drivers uh, to be honest, I mean, yes, uh, Grosjean doesn't he get did. those results, but he's a guy who can turn a wheel quickly and he's capable of pulling out a good lap time. I don't think that's ever been, you know, the real issue. And we know Magnussen has out and out pace as well. So that is like a pairing that has potential and some something could switch at any moment and you could find yourself with a real top driver pairing there. I think sometimes we forget that uh, when, when, when a team is like midfield, you're always going to try to overdrive the car if you're eager. And if you take a guy like Roman Grosjean, he's uh, in the paddock, they say he's probably the fastest guy on a one lap. Uh, like if they have to rate them all, he's up there, top three, no doubt. But the overall uh, Grosjean experience of a race weekend is <laughs> yeah. a different story. The Grosjean uh, experience. Heard, 
Yeah, exactly. I heard uh, a podcast with uh, Kevin's dad the other day, and uh, he he said that Kevin beat him for the first time when he was ten in a go kart. So he must do something right, Kevin. <laughs> I like the Grosjean experience. It sounds like a roller coaster. Come find the Grosjean experience. Will you even leave the gantry? Take your chances if you dare. Got to be a ride at Disney. Yeah, exactly. I, I was thinking more not Disney, more like a Pleasurewood Hills. Something like that. Only the Brits will get that reference, but a bit more rickety. Don't they have like a Ferrari park at one of uh, Abu Dhabi or, or um, Bahrain? I could totally it's see the Grosjean Dhabi. experience at, uh, at Paul Ricard, right? The Grosjean experience. I love that. It's definitely got to be, it's definitely got to be, you know, a spinny one as well. That's where it's got yeah, six yeah. movements, six motions of rotation on that roller coaster. Not a roller coaster fan myself. Uh, but what a, speaking of Ferrari, stalled segue there speaking of ferrari we have some videos to talk about uh why don't we go to uh kevin kevin you sent kevin because we're talking about kevin magnuson uh christian i'll take it <laughs> christian is compliment christian you um sent me some links to some videos and there's a bit of a link to ferrari and leclerc but, but tell me what it is you sent me because it was thrilling and uh, i would love other people to check it out um so well, basically, in the 70s, 76, uh, a French guy did um, did a movie called um, uh, Rendezvous. It's, uh, it's a Mercedes car driving around Paris. Uh, I'm saying Paris. Let's say Paris. <laughs> uh, in the morning time, and it's like eight, nine minutes, and it's just onboard camera, and it was a revolutionary thing back then. Everyone was watching, everyone who liked onboard stuff was watching that movie. It's just, it's a classic. Uh, and Ferrari tried to redo this in, during the quarantine and they got, um, they got uh, Charles Leclerc to drive around Monaco in the empty streets. And they had the guy who directed the original movie. He's called Claude Lerouche, something like that. Lelouche uh, mm. uh, to direct the, the movie. And it just turned out like this Monaco uh, thing where you had Prince Albert standing oh. there uh, clapping and his, his pals and you had uh, Leclerc standing there looking what's going on. And the, the movie ended with Leclerc driving off with a girl and they took off their masks in the car, both of them, and sort of like something will happen here and it wasn't just on board it was just like a commercial for the variety it's just horrible marketing and it was just so cringeworthy and i was and uh -huh. i came to think about what i mean ferrari is they are not doing any com uh, marketing for for their brand all they do is formula one and they're not really i mean it's not the best marketing for them these days and if this is what they come up with when they finally do something something serious have to be done about their marketing because they have to embrace the new era. Yeah. They have to, someone needs to get fired basically. Right. Okay. Well, I, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling for anyone to be fired, nor is uh, Mr. Apex Inc. Uh, but the chat room is agreeing with you. I've not seen the Leclerc version. I, I, I saw the original ones that you sent to me. Uh, let's see. Caterham Nut says, no, no, no. The Leclerc Monaco was painfully bad. Stuart says, so bad uh leclerc has a prince albert and a girl oh no, i shouldn't have read that out not that kind of Te technically none of those words are, are sweary so that's so that's <laughs> fine um and uh, until this film i had not realized that monaco and ferrari produced cheese so yes 
there doesn't seem to be anyone who who thinks that that was a success. Uh, but Matt, I mean, we saw the original and you WhatsApped the link to me and you said, watch this now, turn the sound on, watch this now. No, I said, this is disgraceful. No one should ever do this. This is reprehensible. You, you should never drive like this on public streets. But having said that, oh my gosh, it's awesome. That was my first you know? instinct. This is how I know I'm old and boring. I was like, he yeah. just ran a zebra crossing there. Like he went into an interchange without without looking. How? Could... But the thing is, it was early morning, you say. Uh, they didn't have the license to do it. It is horribly reckless. And like I genuinely get upset with that kind of driving. But I don't know, it was the 70s and stuff was worth less then. So I guess it's okay. Yeah. And the rules were different. And as a child of the 70s, I can just tell you things were different then, not always for the better, but they were different. And what was amazing about this, as Christian rightly notes, is that its use of the camera mounted car to capture the action, I think was the first time it had ever been done. And if I'm wrong, I'm sure I'm sure there are cinematographers who will tell me no back in 1966, blah, blah, blah. But to my knowledge, in popular iconography, this is the first time we saw a car shot like this, which becomes standard in like Steve McQueen, Bullet, all of these films would wind up having camera shots like this. And what's astonishing about it is he starts in La Defense, drives all the way to Sacre Coeur in six minutes and change through, I don't know, what, 36 red lights at least? The pigeons. Oh my gosh, the pigeons. And the sound on the movie is just, it, it's remarkable. It's an amazing piece of driving. And it, yeah, it, it's its a really exciting thing to watch wait, once wait, wait. you get over just how stupid and dangerous it, and reckless it all was. It is totally stupid. And, it is also cool. I mean, look, jumping out of a plane is stupid, also cool. Yeah. But uh, Matt, just tell me what we should type into the <laughs> internet to find it. Um. You should type in, oh, I will go open up the link I found, but I believe it's rendezvous. rendezvous, Claude cool. yeah. That Lelouch. None of those things were sounds. Try again, Matt. Uh, Lelouch, L-E-L-O-U-C-H. Rendezvous, Claude Lelouch. And, okay. and you should be able to find it on YouTube easily enough. But here's the thing, and this is really what I get. Like, the end of the film, you got a, a woman running up the stairs. Obviously, he was late for the rendezvous. And that's, it was just an excuse to put a camera on a car and drive stupid and fast yeah. in the streets of Paris. And it's fun to watch. Okay. So but what I love about it, and this has been, a lot of people have made this point. I'm sorry. A lot of people have made this point. What I love about it is that they did not have the image stabilization available to them back then. So the camera conveys the speed and the danger ever so much better. So when we talk about modern cameras in Formula One, and everyone's like, oh, I love the visor cam in Indy. That's because they don't have the same level of stabilization. And it, this is in, in a way in which technology has actually made Formula One worse because it looks boring to watch because all of the shakiness and bumpiness, all the things the drivers actually experience aren't being communicated through the visual medium anymore. Uh, I don't know. It could be because I played a lot of video games, I guess. I look at like the Senna clips now, looking back, I, I can't remember what it was like watching it in the in the 80s as a kid. But when I look back at those clips now, I kind of get annoyed. I'm like, geez, just get some video stabilization, man. I, Chris, I don't know. I mean, you have grown up the entire time uh, with this video stabilization technology in real time. And, I, and you'll get confused looking at this video. You'll be alarmed. The 70s and 80s were a dangerous and uh, hellscape where everything was allowed. It was like the Wild West. Uh, you could say anything, do anything, and if people were upset, you just laughed at their tears and you collected them in a jar. Uh, but um, for, for you, 
if you look back at those old clips, you know, are you like me? Do you get upset and just go, oh, just shaking around? No, I love it. I really? think it's fantastic. Oh, okay. There was, there was a 360 degree video of Lewis Hamilton's pole lap from Singapore. I can't remember if it was last year or year before, whatever it was, but it conveyed the speed so much better than the TCAM thing. And they are trying to bring it back artificially in some series. There's some series where they, it, it zooms in and out on like a loop to try and make things look a little bit more cinematic. Yeah. And they do things where like there are parts of the car that if they touch, they'll spark automatically to make it look cool when there's a bit of contact. Take away image stabilization, bring back the actual sense of speed, stop doing the long, long offboard shots that make the cars look super slow. Bring back the sensation of speed. <laughs> well, I'll go to Christian in just a second, but I think I may have uh, nailed why I may feel differently to you. So when we go to the onboards, you, from what you're saying, you want the sensation of speed. You want this kind of cinematic experience. You want to like live and breathe every moment and movement with the driver. That's not what I'm looking for on the onboard. I'm watching for uh, how he's approaching it uh, from a sporting point of view. I want to be able to clearly see if he takes the apex, where he's braking, where he's accelerating, and how he's interacting with another car. I'm not, I'm not actually that interested in 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 the shaky cam. It's not a cinema. Still, it's a sport. I want to see the sport with a little bit of shaky. You can still do that with a little bit of the natural. Right, look at it this way: when we did the missed apex karting, right? Does the video the, uh, the onboard cameras we use for the video? Yeah. Did it look cooler when it was just mounted on the front and it was shaking like, do you know how much it vibrated the front of the car? Like it was about to fall off at any minute and it was awesome. Christian. Just two fun facts for the the movie there. Uh, uh, first of all, it was there was rumors that they've uh, actually recorded it with a gyro, but it was actually just mounted on the front of the car and filmed with a 35 millimeter, uh, like normal uh, video camera. They didn't have digital back then, of course, and uh, uh, with a a wide lens. So it's it's really basic. It's just low to the ground. It's just you feel the speed. And they actually did the movie in a Mercedes, uh, but didn't really like or maybe enjoy the sound of the Mercedes engine, even though it was a 6.9 engine. So they... Uh, the, the guy who instructed the movie, Lelouch, his own Ferrari, he had a Ferrari 275 GTB, and they recorded the sound of that, uh, which have the same gear ratio, I think, and just put it on the movie. So it's the sound of a, a Ferrari, but the look of or the drive of a Mercedes. That's another thing you've reminded me of that is the low to the ground. It feels exactly. so much quicker than the T-Cam, which is so much higher. When does Formula One look its best on board? When you're following the the nose cam, the nose cam managed to make no. a battle at La Castellet look interesting. That is the power of television. I no, I don't agree with that. I, I want to see the driver inputs. The more driver inputs I can see, the more the more you're watching the sport. You want what you want is Fast and the Furious, and that's what you. And then you want oh, them to, don't you, you want dare. them? You want you want there would have been no Leclerc uh, collision at Brazil for you last season because Vettel would have simply found another gear and accelerated randomly away. That's what that's what you want to see. Just admit from a sporting point of view, we want to see wheels and steering and everything. That that's fine, but do it do it later. We can make it look cool and do that at the same time. But at the moment, we're only doing one. It's always been like uh, the biggest challenge for uh, for television when you when you do sports, uh, especially racing. That it's it's so difficult to embrace speed, 
because as soon as it gets on the cam, it just looks like half the speed. That's why when you watch Formula E, it 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 looks very slow. And Woo! Formula One is basically the only. Ah, I'm sorry, it's kind of <laughs> it slow. slow. Yeah, but it's kind of slow. That like, it looks slow because it's slow. Yeah. It is. It is kind of no, slow. It's slow compared to Formula One. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. It's slow. Exactly. If I was in a Formula, so Formula E car, I would. I would be. Read me my last rights. I would be terrified. I acknowledge that completely. Uh, however, the reason Formula E can't be a support race at the moment, for example, is it would really highlight the speed. It's not about out and out speed with Formula E, though. It's about developing a technology, and it's about making that technology fit into as good a racing as that technology can handle right now, which is tight street circuits and it is open wheelers. It kind of open wheelers in name alone, really, because the front wings can take a bit of a pounding and it doesn't really race like an open wheel season. So I'm not, I'm not making any judgment on that. I'm just, I'm calling it what it is and I'm saluting what it is, but acknowledging what it is. Now here's 10 minutes of Matt telling me why I'm wrong. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I just wanted to include a comment from Uncle Steve in the chat room. Okay. If I may. Because he says the camera was a Clockwork Bolu 16 millimeter, and the reason they chose that route was because they could complete it using just one magazine of film, which is the way they rolled back in the 70s. Oh, he's such a he's such a nerd. Nice. But that uh, brings us up in a in a neat bow. Let's talk a little bit about testing. So this is one of those things that's kind of gone off the radar a little bit for me, Matt, because I don't know, we've had testing already. And in my mind, everything paused uh, in the the morning of the Australian Grand Prix. And then we're just picking everything up again uh, when we go to Austria. That's not realistic. The teams have been out and about testing. It's not an official 
testing schedule. So I'm assuming these are the quote unquote filming days or they're testing in different models of car or have we seen out and out testing days? Uh, We have not seen an out and out testing day. We have seen Mercedes in their 2018 car, which according to the regulations, once you you go back two years, you can use the car and it's not considered a current car anymore. So it falls outside of the normal testing regulations. Uh, Mercedes has used that. Ferrari will be testing at Mugello. They will be using a 2018 car. Renault have tested at Austria, and I don't have the details on that, but I don't think, I, I know it wasn't a 2020 car that they used. Um, uh, AlphaTauri uh, will be testing at Imola. Remember, we discussed yeah. Imola possibly being on the calendar. They're going to be testing there. Um, and we have the McLaren drivers testing F3 cars because of the difficulties associated with switching their car power unit when they yeah so what i read from that was mclaren aren't allowed to run their renault engines so they're testing in f3 cars just to keep their drivers sharp is that is that correct well it's for everyone it's about two things one it's about keeping it's about getting your drivers back on a track and letting them get back in touch we've seen leclerc and karting we've seen drivers in a variety of different ways trying to keep their skills sharp for when they're back um when they're back in action. Uh, Racing Point, interestingly, did run their 2020 car, but it was a demo day limited to 100 kilometers and special non-competition tires that Pirelli provides. They are the only team thus far to run their current 2020 chassis on a track uh, before the season actually starts. Uh, We've not heard from Red Bull, but I think they may be doing a similar thing. That's sort of the general talk. So... That's where we are with the testing stuff that we know. And Haas, we know, for will not test at all before they show up. That is their plan. Money? Yeah. They're not, they're, they're, their whole thing is, I'm not going to spend the money till I know what's going to happen in the season. Because the, my, if I don't know how many races I have to run, why am I going to develop parts? How am I going to develop parts? I want to spend my budget efficiently. If I don't know what the calendar is, how can I do that? Why do I want to develop parts for Austria, which is almost a one-off race, and not be able to use them two weeks later at Silverstone. So I think once they know what the calendar is and it's set, they'll do some basic development. But essentially, they're going to hunker down yeah. and try and be efficient. And then once they know what the prize money is, they're going to seek to maximize the portion of prize money they can bring home by targeting their development at specific races. Of course, um, of course, Austria is a, a two-off, one-off. Uh, this year, yeah, at least. Two-off. It's a two-off, one-off. Uh, Chris, uh, you're kind of my go-to person talking about junior series. So there's shots yeah. of, of Lando out in a, a Carlin uh, F3 car? Yeah, yeah, the team he raced for in European Formula 3 uh, where he won the, the title. So a proper throwback and a proper throwback to a, a real Formula 3 <laughs> car. I don't like the yeah. modern Formula 3 cars that are too big and bulky and have got too much downforce and they don't slide like they should. Uh, yeah, but I wonder, like, how how close is it to the F1 driving experience? So Lando seems like a pretty adaptable guy. He's spent a lot of time doing iRacing. I'm sure his rig is a little better than yours and mine. I'm sure it's not a wheel clamped to a desk. But, uh, you know, yeah. he, he's keeping himself sharp, obviously. But I don't know. I I wonder whether it's almost counterintuitively a bad thing to sit in an F3 car and then suddenly have an F1 car under you. Yeah, I was wondering this myself earlier because he's going to change his style a little bit. I mean, I'm sure he's smart enough to know 
what he yeah. does need to do and then doesn't need to do. But uh, I, th- I think it's, it's a, it's just cool to see him back out there and uh, you know, a championship winning uh, car from his, from his junior career. Um, I'm sure it, it won't hinder him all that much, even if it does, it will probably take like one practice session for him to get back up to speed. Well, uh, let's hope all the drivers get up to speed. It will be interesting. They've all taken different approaches and we'll, we'll never really know, but it would be interesting if, you know, Kimmy's never taken a break this long. Oh, yes. No, of course he has, hasn't he? No, he has. So, okay, bad example. Like, I picked literally the worst example, uh, uh, Christian. I think it's mostly where uh, uh, it just hurts on your body when you start racing again. I, I have no Formula One experience, but I've been driving karts. And the, the, the second you get into it, if you've been like a month, month or two off, it just hurts different parts of your body, like your ribs and your back and it's just a thing you have to get into the rhythm and you have to like get your body used to all the uh, the way the, the speed affects it and stuff like that and when and once you get that you're ready to go neck muscles aside of course actually that isn't what i was thinking about because these guys are like you know properly fit you and me christian we're talking you know about our old bones you know, Lando does not have that that same issue. The, the actually, thing- actually, Lando was talking about that oh, exact that? thing the other day, <laughs> yeah. and it, uh, how the F3 experience hurt his body, and even the karting experience just woke him up again. The thing I was really looking at, though, Chris, was like in a, in in sim racing and in F3, you you they've not got as much grip because in a sim racing you've not got the butt feel. Uh, in F3, you've not got the same amount of grip as an F1 car the danger being that you get used to having to really nurse those cars. You get into an F1 car, you think, oh, this is brilliant, I'm going fast. But actually, you've not pushed it to the limit and suddenly you go, oh man, I'm actually a little bit off the pace. I think that's that's where I was going to because these F1 cars are, are probably pretty planted, Christian, compared to a sim, compared to a an F3 car. I think it's two different things because uh, your racecraft, how fast you go, where you can go fast is one thing. And it's not. Uh, you will never forget that. And that is if you're in a sim or in a Formula One car, in a go-kart, you will drive to the limit because it's just your racecraft. And then you have all the physical side. Uh, And the physical side is going to limit you if it hurts. If you feel your ribs going through a corner, you're going to think about it. Uh, And remember, when you drive a Formula One car, you you, you basically can't breathe when you go through the corners. You, You have to hold your breath through every corner. And that is also a learning period. You have to get used to it. You have to, the way you breathe, the way your lungs work and stuff like that. So, so I think it's two different things. And the first thing, they'll never forget it uh, unless they're off for years, of course. Now, is that a physical thing, Christian? Or is that like a, if you breathe, it affects the way your body moves? Because I know from like rifle shooting, you, you, you do an in-breath and you hold your body at the top of the breath and then release the round because your body is then then set. If you breathe out, it moves your body. Is, is that what it is in an F1 car? Or is it just it, the fact it's taking your breath away? It's. Have you ever seen like when you see a, a fighter pilot pulling like eight, nine Gs and they have this suit on and just before they faint, the first time you see them go like, they like strengthen their muscles around the lungs and around your neck. And you sort of like try to keep the breath in, but uh, the the pressure will try to empty your lungs, so you have to do like that to keep air in them. That's where I describe it basically, and it takes practice. Matt, yeah, the forces try to drain the blood out of your head, so when you fill up yeah, your lungs, too. you're restricting the ability of that blood to flow as rapidly. And I would expect that 
Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, even on a sim, uh, the corners are where like you want everything to be as set and as planted as possible because that's where all the time is made. Actually, uh, Kevin's dad, uh, the podcast I talked about earlier, in that same podcast, he talked that the first time he tried a Formula One car, both his lungs collapsed. So it's pretty hard. Wow. I, I like it. I like that. That's the quote of the episode. And driving F1 cars, it's pretty hard. And I imagine, I imagine it is. Uh, it will be interesting. I think Austria is definitely going to be a, a cobweb clearing a session from everyone and everyone getting to new experiences, new ways of working, doing things without the crowd there, different media pressures. I, I would imagine there's going to be several kind of Zoom and Skype call stations where they're going to get ushered to do various interviews. So it's going to be a case of who can adapt well. And it's most likely that the, the people who are better in general, at driving and doing all this stuff and uh, getting themselves around an F1 weekend will probably adapt better to these these circumstances. The thing is, though, Matt, we don't know who that is. It could be Lance Stroll. It could be that all the normal GP weekend stuff really isn't Lance Stroll's thing. You take away all the distractions and suddenly he's going to come out and, and be this amazing switched-on driver. Again, a bad example, but uh, we could be in for some some real interesting stuff. Put it this way, I'm not going to be betting on the first couple of rounds of the 2020 season. I think that's reasonable, although I believe uh, if I go down and look at what Lewis Hamilton had to say after his uh, after his uh, test, um, I was able to get a good feel for the car. I didn't feel like I'd ever left the water because it was a wet day. Uh, it's a good feeling to know I feel fit and ready. And if Lewis is saying that after a day driving in the rain at Silverstone, I'm just yeah. like, ouch, just ouch, man. It's just like, it, it's going to be, but Red Bull will make it interesting because they, they have owned that track the last couple of years. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, they literally own the track, but also yeah. in a driving term. And yeah, it, it could give them the, that kind of head start. Uh, Chris Stevens, um, if, if Red Bull do get like two race wins under their belt and a one, two, it might not be that they have enough to carry that throughout the season, but that will be enough to make Mercedes sort of think differently, like start Silverstone on the back foot instead of like, you know, it could change the dynamic of the championship of indeterminate length. For sure. And I'm looking forward to seeing you know, how uh, Honda has pushed forward in their reliability and how much that has affected the amount of power they can continue to use in races, whether they think that they can do this shortened season within the number of uh, you know uh, limited engines and uh, whether having a shorter season might actually help them push for a title because there'll be fewer races where they're losing on, on power and reliability, for example. Right, uh, let's move on. I was going to to, to do a team comparison, uh, but with one thing or another, we've managed to drift ourselves out to 59 minutes. So our teammate comparison, I think, can wait for our official Austrian Grand Prix review, which is going to be next weekend. I can't believe it. And before that, we're going to be speaking to Uncle Joe. Joe Sayward is going to be dropping into the shared at 11.30 UK time on Tuesday. So we're going to get an inside F1 with Joe before the season starts. And I'm going to try and catch up with Joe as well. If he's able to get to any of the Grand Prix, uh, I don't think we know the exact schedule or the exact uh, rule month of press that are going to be going to each race. But any Grand Prix that Joe is at, we are going to try and get a audio chat with him uh, from from near the track uh, once he's already got a sense 
uh, of what's going on and what people are saying. So that should be quite a good development as well. And then our race preview will be here on uh, on Sunday, next Sunday. Missed Apex podcast is a Patreon Patreon supported podcast, which means your patron dollars are what keeps us going. Uh, you got us well to the stage where you pay our expenses, for which we are incredibly grateful. Podcasting is a ridiculous hobby. The costs mount up insanely. You've got us to the point where if a piece of equipment breaks, we can replace it. You've also got it to the point where it can form part of me and Matt's freelance hours. Uh, Not saying it's pop star wages, but it is enough to turn around to our wives, Matt, and say, well, do you know what? This Mr. Apex thing is part of my freelance calendar, which uh, we are incredibly grateful for. Yeah, uh, completely grateful for. And again, I cannot stress enough the community, the support we get is amazing, but the community that they have built themselves on Slack and in iRacing and all the other places that we have gone, it's just remarkable to me. It's just a great bunch of people. And I'm, I'm delighted and honored to be able to associate with them. Uh, go and check it out on our Missed Apex Motorsport channel. Uh, but uh, we can always do more. We are an incredibly ambitious podcast and we would like to be able to go to places to do a thing. We would like to be able to bring in experts to help us grow. Uh, we would like to work on our PR. We would like to, when we go to a place to do a thing, have the equipment to record people saying a thing and then show you the thing that they said. Uh, and all those things can only happen with Patreon support. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We would love your support. If you listen to podcasts uh, as much as you do your your music subscription service or your Netflix account, then consider supporting podcasts. Not necessarily ours, but I'm the one who's made this point. So please, please support Missed Apex. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. And uh, the the podcasts that are supported are the ones that survive. So please support your independent podcasts. Uh, Mark Greenhow in the chat, never in my life did I think I'd be in a place where I'd be paying for a free podcast. However, I've been doing it for a while now, and I don't regret a single penny I've spent. Listener endorsement, we did not pay him for that, I don't think. Uh, No, uh, we don't provide much in return. You get an ad-free feed, you join our Slack community, and we do some extra bonus content for you uh, on that ad-free feed as well. It is a little bit like, you know, the roadside act podcasts are free as is the juggler on the side of the road and you stop to enjoy the juggler and then he gives you a you know his hat and says do you want to chip in and you go wow i was only passing by i didn't mean to i didn't mean to see your show why should i put money in the hat but if i then came back every week and i sort of put aside some time to go and see the juggly guy i might start thinking oh yeah okay maybe I'll, i'll put it in his hat i know what he's doing i know what he's doing he's duped me he brought me in on the free thing but here, here's a quid. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Patreon.com forward slash uh, Apex. Matt, uh, F4, F4 on the wall. Who's the fastest of them all? Uh, well, if you are talking about Danish F4, which is a bit of a niche product, that would be the much touted Juju Noda, who, after gaining pole position, won her very, very first race now that she is officially old enough to race in this category, which is an interesting thing. She's been on a lot of people's radars for a very long time because her dad was uh, briefly a Formula One driver. She's had a lot of, I'm trying to think of the right word. I wanted to say grooming and I realized that is a bad word, so I will not use it. But she's had a lot of coaching and support and access that many people her age don't get. And she is 
genuinely fast. I believe she owns a record at Okayama, if I'm not mistaken. And this was her first race out in the big world, out of Japan, and she won it. And for that reason alone, now a lot of people are sitting up and taking notice of the fact. Yeah, so I want to add some some context to this. And uh, you know, in in the world we live in, where there are no in betweens, you are either on uh, the extreme of one side or the extreme of another. So I can either sit here and say, "Oh, yeah, she's going to be a twelve time Formula One world champion," or I can say, "No, she's absolute garbage, and we'll never see the light of day in Europe again." Yes, pick believe one of those, not, please. Th- believe it or not, there is actually a middle ground and people forget that. So I just want to remind people that for what I am about to say, I am not trying to take anything away from her, nor am I going to hype her up, right? Because no matter what way you look at it, first race outside of Europe and you win it, especially at her age, is impressive. Now, on, on top of what you said there, Matt, Danish F4 is a bit of a weird championship. It's relatively new. It's not incredibly well-funded. There were only three full-time entrants last season. Um, and they do this really weird thing as well because they only have five F4 cars on the grid. It's a mixed class uh, okay. category. The rest of the grid is Formula Ford, uh, which they call Formula 5. So it's <laughs> it's not a it's not a fantastic film. And obviously, the further down the you know FIA single seater ladder you go, the more diverse the talent pool is because that's where people are you know just starting out, for example. And it's always a fantastic marketing move to find a championship you have the best chance of winning in. So I've dealt with drivers where we've genuinely considered let's go to a lower category, win some races, build up a little bit of hype around you, and then we'll get you a better drive in a in a higher-tier championship. Look at what Roman Grosjean did after his first try in Formula 1. He went down to the Formula 3 level in AutoGP, won that, dominated the F2 championship, and then came back in F1, guns are blazing. So just that's just there for, your, for you to make your own minds up with. Don't want to take anything away from it. Nonetheless, it's an amazing achievement. A win from pole position is a win from pole position, even if you've only got four other people chasing you, one of whom was at least roughly as fast as you because they had a slightly faster qualifying lap that they lost due to yellow flag conditions. Yeah. That said, what is interesting to me about this, and this relates back to uh, some conversations that we had with Brad, is she has had the kind of resource that very few women get girls when they are that age. And I am genuinely interested to see where she gets to with this kind of support. She's not the only person we're going to talk about in this segment of the show. But this is, to my mind, a real test case in a lot of ways for people who've made the argument that it's resource starvation from the start. Uh, Let's go to our our resident Viking. Christian, you're not going to take this. They've just slated Danish F4. If you want to murder them in a spate of nationalistic revenge... I support that. I mean, my my knowledge about Danish F4 is so limited that I probably read about this for the first time this weekend. <laughs> so I don't really know much about the, the lower feeder categories in Denmark, but I do know about the track. And it's uh, it's pretty traditional, old, old, time school, old school track, uh, but it's been raining cats and dogs this weekend. And it's been raining all the time. And it's not an easy track in the wet. So uh, kudos to... Miss Nora. Now, uh, I think uh, Matt and Chris, you know, you both make good points. Uh, Chris's 
point, I think, is probably based on the frustration of why are we talking about uh, a 14-year-old kid uh, when we don't really generally talk about other 14-year-old quick kids. I mean, the Schumachers, they obviously get quite a, little, a lot of publicity, but there is, I think, an appetite for a Japanese driver in F1. There is certainly always an appetite and, and people looking forward to a genuine female talent as well coming through in F1. And and and, and whilst you're right, whilst we, we can't really read too much into this, she did win that race in the wet first time out. She is being touted as a genuine talent. So given the, you know, given the pressure on her as well and the publicity around it, we can at least say she jumped that first hurdle pr- pretty well and looks to have the backing, natural talent, connections, etc. All the things you need to get to the top of motorsport. Yeah, it's, it's very true. And, you know, she's ticking all the boxes. Um, I'd say my point maybe more comes across from the fact that people look at this one race and say, oh, that person's going to be in Formula One yeah, one day. Fair, and fair, you're you're yeah. more than welcome to to make that um, prediction. It's one I tend to steer very clear from because I've seen a lot of incredibly talented drivers fall by the wayside for one reason or another people who should really should have been in formula one right so to finish up this point i would agree with you by saying that of the measurable factors that you need to get to formula one she has all of them she's got the backing she's got the coaching she's got the talent with the coaching at least to go fast enough to own that lap record she can win a race when she's being put in that position to win so, yeah, all signs are positive, but she's also 14 years old. And a lot can happen between 14 and Formula One. So you don't want to put undue pressure on her. Although, in a way, uh, I think probably her marketing plan is going to do exactly that. What's also fun, and on a related note, did you know that Ferrari has partnered with the FIA to support girls that age uh, in their... Uh, attempt to rise through the ranks right uh, just just to pause slightly on that i just want to pick up on your point that's saying you know it's undue pressure unfortunately the reality is if you have a child who is and 14 is still a child if you have a child that is going into a public uh space and who is going into a career where you are going to be constantly scrutinized and performance pressure is high professional athlete, gymnast, performer, singer, there, this, there's a different league of expectation. The only way to take away that expectation and that pressure is to go do something else, is to do something, uh, you know, a, a more traditional job. So, you know, I know we're having that with our daughter at the moment. She recently just had a, you know, a, a, a performance where she wasn't feeling it and she didn't deal with it very well. So, you know, I had to sit down and say to her, look, we can, we can, just not do these things anymore. That's completely fine. There's no pressure to do it. But once you do it, you have to do it and you have to take the pressure that comes with it and you have to take the fact that you're not allowed to just switch off. Like if you're going to put a 14-year-old in an F4 car, they're not allowed to just switch off. They can't have a bad day halfway through the lap. They have to keep going. So no, I, I don't I don't think we're, we are owed uh, or we owe any driver a, a back-off way. If we're going to push kids through those kind of feeder series at this age then they're under public scrutiny and it's up to them and, and their parents to decide if, if that's what they want to do. But um, Jamie Chadwick, Matt, is involved in this uh, Ferrari scheme that you're talking about. Uh, I think the Chadwick thing is separate to the Ferrari oh, scheme. Oh, okay, sorry. Ferrari scheme, sorry. 
is aimed at 12 to 15 year olds. Now, you right. may remember certain WhatsApp chats that we will not reference when the W series first started, which is why we're going to talk about Jamie Chadwick in a second. And there were a lot of people who made the argument that W series is a fantastic thing, but where the money would be best spent is at the start of the journey. You get the most bang for your buck by spending at the lowest level and giving these girls the same kind of support, sponsorship, and help, and coaching that the boys are already receiving. And Ferrari has gotten together with FIA, and they are now specifically targeting people in that age group to give them this sort of support, the same kind of support that we've seen Juju Noda have, in order to help equalize the number of participants uh, between men and women once you get to the top ranks. And so it's it's really kind of an interesting and wonderful time to see this this sort of focus on people that age, which I think really is long overdue. I am struggling to dis to disagree with you and inequality ah. and I know I'm sorry. I am so I'll sorry. I'll try better next time, I promise. <laughs> uh, and thank you very much to Matthew Manzi in our live chat for that super chat donation. I do feel like the rest of the live chat bullied him into it. It's not a rule that you have to do that on your first live stream, although we shouldn't be doing anything to dispel that rumor, Matt. Uh, thank you very much to our live stream uh, for keeping us company. The 10 horrible minutes where my internet failed and we could not support the live stream, it didn't feel the same. And that's why I was doing everything I could in the background to get the live stream back. And so many people came back and joined in. It just made me realize how much you make uh, this live experience for us. Uh, so thank you very much there. Um, yes, you're right, Matt. Um, the grassroots is a place where we want to be uh, tackling all minority groups. If we have an interest in equalizing uh, the proportional amounts of people who at least have the opportunity of the highest levels of, of motorsport and, you know, and other areas of life, the grassroots is is where we need to go. So I'll go to you, Chris, because you're the journalisty kind of guy. Uh, people were asking Lewis Hamilton when he was, not personally, they were yelling it on Twitter, when he was talking about uh, F1 being a white-dominated sport, he angered a lot of people. The anger ranged from, well, you're black, so uh, that means that there are black people in F1, so shut up, all the way to, well, what are you going to do about it? Well, looks like he's done something about it. He actually does, and uh, the, the the FIA is now uh, in what is called the Hamilton Commission, um, are um, going to start actually researching why there is this big lack of diversity in Formula One. Um, the uh, the researching company that they're um, using, I forget the name of, but uh, you know they're going to be looking at it as a sort of systemic issue in, in, in motorsport, not just formula one, but, you know, up and down the, uh, the single seater ladder, um, as it were, which sounds like great progress. I, I think it would be a, a good start, uh, but at least Matt, I mean, there's something happening. And as we've seen in a lot of politics, it does sometimes take an individual to light the fire under the bellies of society and extant social conditions for anything to actually happen. Yeah, and and it is important to stress that that because motorsport is Hamilton's world, that is where his expertise exactly, lies, yeah. and that is where this effort is aimed. But that the idea behind it 
is that with all specific things, it will help a general larger cause, which is basically just the lack of equity in our current society, both uh, in terms of gender and in terms of race. And I'm, I, for one, am delighted. Now, I will say that if you go back far enough and you look at pictures of pit crews, and then if you go and watch the latest Drive to Survive, there has been a distinct uptick in the non-driver roles, certainly of women, and I, I believe people of color as well, if that is the current way to express it without getting all that on the internet. I um, think the correct way to express it is to express it from a kind place. And if you happen to use a term which is outdated and people pick you up on it, just apologize and say, I did not realize and and, and try to adapt. Um, and I know you, Matt. I know that it comes from a kind place uh, from you, so I would not take offense to any term you used. Oh, you don't want to open that door, but I will not walk through it because unlike my grandpa, I have not had a stroke and yes, I can still okay. control my language. Uh, I tell you what, guys, I, I just want to say something uh, on the on the topic for a couple of minutes. Feel free to skip forward a couple of minutes, but I, I wouldn't normally talk about uh, race issues on a Formula One podcast, but Lewis Hamilton has made it a, a Formula One topic. And I keep seeing lots of different arguments uh, online that, that upset me and that hurt me. Why does it affect me? Uh, I guess I walk the streets at the moment and people might look at me and, and think of me as um, uh, some maybe Italian-y or kind of Spanish-y looking kind of guy. And I feel a little ashamed in that in my broadcasting and media world, I very rarely talked about the fact that I'm half Asian. And it's because... I, I did look more Asian when I was younger and I got a lot of racist abuse in the street, particularly my mother walking around as a mixed race family. So it is a point of shame to me that I say, well, I don't mention it because I can get away with it now. And then I realize, well, obviously other people are not getting away with it. And I hear people saying that racism doesn't exist in the UK or that racism isn't really a problem. And I could look to my experiences as a kid in the 80s and 90s where, where uh, you know, we were surrounded in the street. You know, we were called packy, we were called chinky. We were told to go home all the time, go home, spat on in the street, harassed and bullied. Leaving the house was something you actually had to, to think about in 80s and 90s Colchester. And I'd love to think that is something that just doesn't happen anymore. And it's like, oh, that was the 80s and the 90s. That, that was fine. That's, um, it, it's a different era. Last year, my mother was forced to leave her village. She had to move because of sustained racist abuse attacks. And the thing that's hurt me about all those situations the most is that nobody did anything. Nobody jumped in and stopped it. And it is the, the neutral, good, passive person walking by, doing nothing, saying nothing, that has had one of the biggest effects on systemic racism. And I think if we can get anything out of this movement right now, it's that we take it seriously and we just acknowledge that it exists. That's the first thing. Just acknowledge that it's that it exists and then look around and say, OK, there's a few, you know, why is there so few black drivers in the system? Why is there few top engineers? Why is there no BAME, black and ethnic minority uh, team principals? Then go beyond F1 management positions all disproportionately white. And then I look online and I see people time and time again, and I do apologize, feel free to skip, I'm still talking about it. Time and time again, I see people say, if they're good enough, if they're fast enough, they'll make it. If you work hard enough, you'll make it. 
we just pick the best people for the job. But when you say just pick the best people for the job, you're saying that black and minority ethnic people aren't good enough. That's what you're saying. That is a dagger in the heart of all your BAME friends that hear that because otherwise they would be there, right? If, if we're all equal and, uh, equal and we all have the same ability, then we'd all be there. But the reason that the best people for the job aren't currently from non-white communities is because racism is death by a thousand cuts. You only have to, like Matt was saying, Matt was talking about getting to the grassroots. You only have to have a few hurdles or a few micro unconscious even discriminations at the lower levels before suddenly you look at the middle and say, well, there's no good candidates for the top. We're just picking the right people for the job. We're just picking the best person. We don't want to do positive discrimination. We just want to pick the best person for the job. We're not being racist. But when I look at the candidates in the middle of those areas, there's no BAME people there because they've tripped up over all the hurdles on the way to to getting to the right place. So um, I want to give a shout out to Jack Nichols. My last point on it, I want to give out a shout out to Jack Nichols who quote tweeted me on this matter as well and acknowledged some of the privilege he had making it to the top. Uh, because I, I feel like looking at successful people who have had certain privileges, it's hard to see privilege when you've worked hard, when you've worked your absolute buff, you've put your heart and soul into a career and someone turns around and says, it's because you had white privilege. It's because you had male privilege. That hurts. It diminishes your achievement in your mind, but it doesn't to everybody else's. So if you've had privilege and you've achieved stuff, I just, I want you to know as a mixed race person, I'm saying to you, it doesn't diminish your achievement. You've worked hard. We know that. I'm not trying to take that away from you. You still had a hard climb, even if you started halfway up. I just, you know, I just would like people to remember that some others start 500 meters below you. So if I'm going to be honest, having listened to that, I spent the whole time thinking, how am I going to get this back to the W series and Jamie Chadwick? And then you said something that made me want to say something in response. Go so it. with your permission. Yeah, I'm, man. You don't need my permission. Uh, well, that's true. I, I've never needed your permission, but I will pretend for the sake of the show to ask for it. Um, when you said best, pick the best person for the job. I think that is the lie that is at the heart of all this denial about the racism, because you're implying that best is genetic that there is a best person and that person is the best for the job and that that's based on genes, on race. And that is completely unscientific and wrong. Best is training, resource, and, and community and connections. And so if you're saying the best person for the job, you have to go all the way back to the beginning, to those grassroots that you were talking about and see where these different levels of just wealth do invest. And whatever it is your child wants to do already makes a difference by time, even by time you get to age three or four. Did you have a nanny or did you go to daycare? Did you go to the private preschool or did you or, or did you have to stay at home? So even by time you walk in door to a public school, there's years of difference and training and support between people. So I just I just want to point out that, that when you said that, it just struck me for the first time best person for the job is the biggest lie on the planet because best is nothing but training and support. Good. Thanks for that, Matt. Uh, Chris. I was listening to uh, 
show with Neil deGrasse Tyson on it. And he made the point that uh, to give your kid the best chance in life, you need to expose them to like as many things as, as possible because then they're, they're much more likely to find you know, the thing that, that really motivates them and say, oh, that's what I want to do when I, was, when I was a kid. Because he you know, always said, oh, if I hadn't gone to this astronomy place when I was a kid, I wouldn't be now the, pretty much the face of astronomy in the US. Um, and uh, I, I, looking you know, back on that, I think how many BAME communities are going down to cart tracks with their kids for example, if you can't afford to just throw down some money on a, a karting session, which let's be honest is, you know, it's not exactly cheap, is it? Then there's the an issue right there as well. Awesome. Thank you guys for, for indulging. I don't want to uh, keep beating this over the head. Uh, I understand it was a, it's an issue that is, you know, it's very close to my heart and I have been angry about it this entire time. Uh, not just because Lewis Hamilton said something, but because it became uh, an F1 story. I wanted to to share a little bit how it's been making how it's been making me feel, uh, but let's let let's finish on a bit of a lighter note. But Matt is going. Matt, are you going to finish on a lighter note with me, or are you going to drag it down to some tired, depraved uh, topic tomfoolery? Well, you know, I have this very weird sort of obsession that when I mention something. 15 or 20 minutes ago in the show and then it doesn't get followed up. I feel compelled to speak to it. I love how that happens. It really, it really helps with the edit. Okay. So I'll just note down 127, edit out everything Matt says from here on in. Go, 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 Phil. I'm really interested. I'm listening. In other news related <laughs> tangentially to this topic, um, we had, we were very excited to see Ferrari make their investment in the grassroots. Yeah, uh, but we've also had some news about Jamie Chadwick, who now has a substantial backer and is targeting making Formula One. And this, for all the naysayers of the W Series, this result is the point of it all along. And while I understand why certain people had the attitude that they did about it, the end of the game is that is that it has been. Uh, in terms of how the expectations they set for themselves, this is what they were hoping would happen, and it's now happened. And it's exciting because Chadwick is a good driver, and she's the other end of that journey where I didn't quite have the support, where I was bouncing between series in the worst cars because that's all the money I could scrape up. And now she's getting a proper chance. So who's supporting backing. her? Who's supporting her? Where's um, this backing coming from? It, it's it's coming. Uh, she signed for Prima. And it's coming from uh, a multimillionaire, uh, Dave Dicker, from Roden Cars, apparently, according to the article that I read from BBC, no less. Oh, BBC? I've heard of them. They hire the handsomest presenters, they do. Christian, uh, sorry to uh, sideline you uh, slightly there while I go off on, on a rant. But since we're not going to speak to you for a little while, I thought I might ask you for your hopes and dreams for this season. And we are being a little uh, nationalist here. Uh, as our token Dane and Kevin Magnuson fan, uh, what are your hopes and dreams for this season for him? Uh, you know, is there is there anything he can really do at Haas? I think it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit tricky right now because it's going to be a short season and it's probably going to be a season where it's all about uh, the future and it's not going to be a normal season. But still... He qualified fifth in Austria last year. So it's, let's just hope he, if he can keep that up in the races, I'll be happy. But uh, what's the buzz? I'm not what? sure about, uh, 
what's Sorry? the bu- what's the what's the K Mag buzz in Denmark? Are we are we looking at him as a busted flush? It would have been easy to kind of get your head down after the McLaren uh, in the McLaren season. Uh, is there still hope though that you know? I'm assuming there's no Dane that's about to burst into the F1 scene, so he's still the great Dane hope. Um, people haven't given up on him, have they? Well, we have uh, Christian Lundgaard. Uh, who's been uh, sim racing with the guys, with the the George Russells and the Albans and stuff. Uh, He's a fast guy. And uh, he's probably going to be the next Formula One relevant name from Denmark. Uh, But uh, I don't see Kevin as done, but I have a hard time seeing where he's going to go if he's not going to get renewed at Haas. Because, yeah, he's obviously not going to Renault. And, I mean... What else is there to go? But uh, if I could just mention, uh, for the 2020 season, I hope Fettel is going to be the world champion, which would just be such a, <laughs> a great finale. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Are you a Vettel fan this whole time? I liked you. No, well, I, al- I always like Fettel. I, I think he's a he's a brilliant <laughs> yeah. uh, person as a human being. He's a really nice guy that uh, every time he's communicating with other people, he's just an really nice guy the way he he helped pack up the stuff at the garage with Red Bull team and stuff like that he just serves better uh, and uh, it would just be it would, it would be, just make everything go around in a perfect circle if he ran away with the title it, it would be uh, some kind of poetic justice um, and yeah. it, it's an odd one to think that I would enjoy Vettel winning this championship with Ferrari of all people but it does feel like he's had I think when we look at the biographies of this time and the tell-alls that come out in 10 years' time, I think we're going to appreciate that Vettel's been somewhat shafted. Yeah, I think we could say that. I, it's, uh, I think it's a shame. Uh, but, uh, I mean, what's that to do with Formula 1? I would like to second the excitement about Christian Lungard, who could be a big headache for Guan Yu Zhou. Remember, we were talking about him a couple of weeks ago as a potential... Um, candidate for the Renault seat uh, next year as a Ricardo replacement, while Lungard is also a Renault junior and yeah, could uh, could be him also in, in contention for that one. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, we actually do have a chat room. We didn't think we were going to have a chat room at the beginning of this episode. Uh, and the slight darlicking you may have heard seems to be some regional issue with my internet. So we had to abandon the live stream, but they're back. They're back in full force. And one of those participants and i'm glad so many of them came back will be the illustrious winner of this week's comment of the week i pressed the right button on the soundboard first time i'm so proud of myself i am growing as a person now you grow as a person and have less than 18 candidates all right um do i have to count the ones that i specifically rule out because they mentioned me looking good like Stuart neal what what <sighs> sleep and still handsome tar 27 for the for the section, I can't see you yet, but I guess you great as always. I love that. Thank you, Tar. Uh, oh, sounds as good as he looks. The apex. And poor Noder Bear just wanted a picture held up of me. No, even though Aaron, I am beautiful. You cannot win by saying these things on the show. Although you may get your name mentioned, do you think the fact that I mention their names all the time has something to do with this, Spanners? Do you, do I do a good job hiding my utter disgust at this weekly ritual? Do I, do I disguise it well? Oh, is that disgust? Ah, just 
you know, I'm just not really good at reading emotion sometimes. Uh, I will say, uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin, why do I keep calling, calling you Kevin? Christian, <laughs> Christian, stay alert because you, you are going to be our honorary judge of, of comment of the week here. So, so uh, stay poised because Matt has a lot of them. Come on, let's go. And by way of explanation to the chat room, uh, by, to our listeners, some of these may have been about some technical issues we experienced before we got the stream rolling. But okay, they were still okay, funny, okay. so I included them. Fair enough. Uh, Mr. Phil, three cheers for, quote, turning it off and turning it back on again. That's not what I did. I waited for the, the issue to resolve itself. I didn't do anything. Mike Stoner, Grosjean is tonight's special guest, so the stream has crashed. Oh, come, leave him alone. Like, be kind. Poor old Grosjean. He's trying his best. And I really liked uh, Christian's point there, which is that in the midfield, you may overdrive. Exactly the same with Vettel, having to overdrive right on the limit. Most of his spins were really desperate to get the gas back on out of corners. Like, it was all like, you know, we were going, oh, it's, it's always the same. He gets back on the power, on the exit. The corner's done, and that's when the spin comes. If you're overdriving with equipment that's not doing what you want, yeah, it can make a difference. Let's put Grosjean in the Mercedes for a season and see how he does. Something inside me still has faith that there's a, a good Grosjean in there somewhere. I would actually agree with that. Hmm. Um, good. Which, again, like this is very off-brand for us. I apologize. I don't know what's going on. It's just crazy times. Next, crazy times. next episode, we will just slate everyone. All right, we will just talk about the things we despise about every single... No one will come across... Who's the nicest person in F1? Who do you think's like, oh, he's a nice guy. We can't give him any flack. Like, uh, what's his name? Andy Green, Racing Point. He seemed nice. Let's just do a 20-minute character assassination. So we'll make up for it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I like that idea. Alex Seven suggests that we do four hours and just cut two. Okay. <laughs> hey, we have a strict one-hour time limit. How dare you? I hammer thinks that perhaps our internet connection was done by the Ferrari strategy team. It was going well, and then they just changed something, and then it went wrong. And then when I briefly mentioned tires, Leonard Markovich, whose name I've not seen before, welcome, Leonard, says, I'm getting tired, spelled like on the car, just by seeing Trumpet's face. Your face is exhausting. I hate your stupid face. I see it far too often these days can lockdown hurry up if only to kill remain indoors so i don't have to keep looking at you all week long you'll be happy to know we've only got four to go Jesus uh, michael dieselhoff's comment look at the drivers we got kmag and rogro more of a fixer upper i don't think that's going to get past christian's uh judges column yeah i don't think so uh, Stuart neil until this film i had not realized that monaco and ferrari produced cheese <laughs> i liked it and I'm going to go one more. Mike Stoner, wimps, I drove five miles in my Honda Jazz without any problem uh, regarding the physical difficulties of driving a Formula One car. I don't think that's a, that's the same. I don't think that's a Formula One car. Christian, the honor goes to you. Who is our winner? We have to go with the cheese one. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> so it was my point on the calendar and, you know, it's the best one. That's Stuart Neal, a Mr. Apex Carter, no doubt. And by the way, just so you know, uh, we've been having fun with our iRacing stuff, of course. Missed Apex Motorsport, go check out the final round. It was drama. It was drama from start to finish, and I didn't completely fail in one of the three races. Uh, quick question. I haven't been watching your iRacing stuff. How who, dare you? Who would... Yeah, but uh, it, uh, my Wi-Fi. It's the Wi-Fi thing. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. You know, you know about these things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. Um, who's the faster one? 
Who's the fastest missed Apex? Uh, yeah, we had this. This was a very big part of the championship to see who out of the yeah. panel would come out on top. And if you want to find out, then you should go and check out the stream. But Christian, we'll, we'll maybe tell you after we've gone off the air. We don't want to spoil it for everyone else. Yeah, you can see that result. But I will say on pace, uh, we have Kyle and Alex Van Jean who are good fast carters and like fast sim racers as well. So they are the fastest like over one lap kind of guys. And then me and Matt actually broadly very similar. It depends on the track. Uh, but when I think when it comes to racing, I have just a little edge on playing it safe and, and avoiding crashes. But Matt is in, incredibly quick as well. So uh, if you're just going to jump onto iRacing and, and think you're going to just beat me and Matt easily, I think we'll give you a bit of a fight, Sonny Jim. That's what I'm telling you. So uh, Stuart Neal. Oh, so that was my point. So uh, apart from the iRacing, which has been keeping us going, we are talking to uh, Buckmore Park uh, still. Uh, we will fire off uh, emails as soon as we know a date that we can get that event back up and running. We're desperate to put on our event, but I will not do it a- until it is safe and responsible to do so. All but one person left their cash with us and uh, said, just tell us when we're going racing. Uh, just so, just so, so you know, we will go racing as soon as we can. Um, and we've got some some other racing activities that were lined up that got caught up in this whole COVID stuff as well. So I can tell you, 2021, uh, we will be turning a wheel lots. Missed Apex is a racing organization as well as a podcast. We love to race. We love to compete. We find our own level. We don't pretend we're anything better than we are, but we'll go go karting. We'll have a go in a, a sports car. We will go and do iRacing competitively, and we'll get you involved and get you to come with us because that's what we do here. We live F1, but we also love racing uh christian where can people find you online oh hang on i didn't play the bumper sorry Stuart neil well done <laughs> let's find out where we can follow our panel let's do this in the right order christian where are you on social media i'm only on instagram and it's not really it's not racy stuff but it's uh not k-r-e-d-e-p and it's all just pure bikini shots that's but have you got any of pictures me. of your lockdown haircut because you have got the, the touch of the Antonio Banderas's about you. I actually had my haircut the other day. It was uh, it was this long, I think. <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, you know, the middle-aged man who's trying to look uh, 29. Right, I see. Felt horrible, so I had a cut <laughs> off. Uh, I don't have any personal uh, social media, so yeah. But how do you tell people that out loud that you're on the bubble of all the current social issues? Um, I try not to actually. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, thank you very much, Christian Pedersen. We'll get you on for a race review, hopefully uh, during the course of the season. They're going to come thick and fast, so please stand by your phone Anytime and wait for need. my phone call. Uh, Chris Stevens, you are at Chris on Racing. Yep, on uh, Twitter. That's the professional thing, and uh, my personal account is on uh, Instagram at Chris on Racing as well. And your TikTok is at. Chris on Don't crop tops. You no? dare. Oh, uh, well, I think it won't be long. It's so much. It won't be long. A really simple dance to a repetitive excerpt of an otherwise rubbish song. Come on, Chris. You I know don't you want, want to. to. <laughs> and Matt Trumpets at MattPT55. And um, I always tell people to stalk slash follow your wife. Why do I do that? Because she sells books and her books are good and you should go buy them. 
Excellent. And that is at A Weaver Writes on Twitter. You can follow me at Spanners Ready or the show at Missed Apex F1. And as always, I will throw down my plea uh, for, for, for support uh, in a monetary way. Patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Join our Missed Apex community of su- supporters. Or if you just want to chuck something in the hat, MissedApexPodcast.com forward slash tip jar. I hope you have an exciting week. Come and join us on Tuesday, where we'll be speaking to Joe Sayward. Sunday, where we'll be doing our Austrian Grand Prix race preview. That's right. F1 is nearly back. Until then, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 